Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today we've got Jay Ski's founder, Jason Leventhal, on the show, and we're going to be doing things a bit different than we normally do. Because last week we invited you all to submit any questions that you might have for Jay, and turns out you had a lot of them. So this episode is made up almost entirely of your questions, though I did sneak in one or two of my own, and in his trademark style, Jason answers each of them with extreme candor. So we cover here why Jason started Jay Skis and how you can get a job there. We talk about Jay's favorite ski graphics, which skis are his personal favorites, and which skis he's most proud of. We also get into some ski design questions, including whether we'll ever see something like a 193 centimeter long Jay Ski. Jason tells an Eric Pollard story and even answers the pressing question, What's your favorite way to eat or cook an oyster? So yes, we cover a whole lot of territory here, and I'm going to go ahead and ask in advance for your forgiveness for butchering some of your names and Instagram handles. Some of those were really tricky. Finally, we're also going to be dropping soon a video of this conversation with Jay, so you'll be able to check that out and see some of the graphics and the skis that Jason and I discuss. And so with that, let's go ahead and get to your questions and Jay Lev's answers. All right, here we are talking with Jay Ski's founder, Jay Lev. This time around, it's going to be a little different than our normal conversations because today, these are all your questions. So we asked you guys to write in some questions uh, that you had for Jay. And so here we go. Question number one from... Dunkzan, he just wants to know, sup? What's up with you, Dunkzan? Thanks for taking the time to write a question. Help spread the word. Thanks for the stove. Next. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about um, your company. Official No Poles wants to know, why did you start Jay Skis? No Poles. I love following that guy. So I started Jay Skis because I knew I could do a lot of things different than I was doing with Line, my previous company, and I just wanted to bring things to market quicker, crazier, and give you guys something so that you always are expecting the unexpected at jayskis.com. That's what we're all about. So whether it's graphics, the way we market, um, the product line, how we sell it, every single thing about it has been different than I had done the previous uh couple decades with a more traditional ski company operationally wise. Mark Fritt wants to know, so why did you start your own company versus working for one of the big guys? Yeah. So when I left line, I mean, I had been with line for 17 years, so I didn't leave it because I disliked it in any way. I didn't leave it uh, because I wasn't being treated well. I mean, we had a great run there. You know, it was, it was my baby, you know, and I brought it up and I saw it basically graduate college, get a real job and, and succeed. It's like owned by a K2, you know, it's a gr- that's a great company. Eventually you just say, you know what, I did everything I wanted to do there. And it was time to just take a lot of my ideas that weren't possible within that operation and had to s- really start over in order to execute um, what I was thinking at the time um, in the way that I thought it could be done 
um, and really utilizing like modern marketing and just just everything about it operationally different. So for me, it was like I was very proud of what I accomplished with line skis and full tilt boots, and uh, it was time to move on to the next thing and and do something still within skiing but completely different. Now, the question of why didn't I just go outside of skiing? Trust me, that was front and center on my mind. I thought about for years. Everyone in the ski industry thinks about getting the hell out of the ski industry because it's really only a few months a year. I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Imagine buying a store on Main Street in your town and telling them you're only open, you know, for these five months. And you only are going to sell something for people that not only live in the snow, but enjoy freezing their asses off, going up to the hill, spending a ton of money. It's a very, very, very small market. So the potential for what you can do within that market um, is is limited. That, there's a reality to it. And I often thought, hey, why don't I just go outside of skiing and apply my marketing knowledge and my experience, all those years, product development. But at the end of the day, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I love skiing. You know, I do it for the sport and what I want to help progress the sport, at least from my perspective. Um, and so when I compared the two options of like start another ski company, yeah, that sounds crazy, or get the hell out and, and just probably get paid a lot more doing something else. Um, I said, screw it. I just, I love this too much. I'm too passionate about it. And there's too many things I still want to do in skiing. So that's why I started J skis after I left line. All right. This question's for me. If you couldn't work in the ski industry, what industry or what kind of job do you think you would try to go get? Well, I used to want to be a stunt man, of course. <laughs> and that's kind of, I'm too old for that now, I think. Um, you know, stripper, porn star, that's all. It's crossed my mind. But again, my, my family and everything, that would have been tough, uh, at least working late nights. So <laughs> the other thing I'd want, I'd, I'd probably just be a marketing guy at some marketing agency, honestly. Okay. I mean, that's what I do best. That's what I'm most known for. I develop products, sure, and everything else and sell stuff. But like marketing idea guy, you know, that's what I'm all about. Well, in some ways, I think it's a, Good news we've just heard today, and in some ways maybe disappointing news that you will probably neither be a stuntman, a stripper, or a porn star. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for better or for worse, there you have it. James Zeno wants to ask, um, what made you want to set up HQ in Burlington rather than out west? Yeah, so, I mean, my whole life I thought I'd want to move out west. As soon as I graduated high school, I thought I'd move out west, and I ended up going to school in New York because it was more affordable. It's where I grew up in Albany. And then after the, after college, I was determined I'm going to move out west and just ski out there. Of course, that's like the mecca. But I started making these skis, and one thing led to another, and I ended up just staying in the east. And honestly, the more I traveled, the more I appreciated living up here. Um, I moved to Vermont, and it's – I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I had, you know, an opportunity when I worked for K2 for seven years, I worked from literally guest room, in my house, uh, running line and full tilt, like the whole deal. And I just wasn't worth it to, to leave this place. The skiing is definitely not the best. It's the ice coast, but the culture, the attitude, you know, summers are awesome. I just grew up here and I want to raise my kid here as well. So here I am for life, man. Ice coast, ice coast for life. Ice coast for life. Calvin Sobo asks, why should I buy your skis over other companies' skis? Yeah, so you don't have to buy my skis. That's for sure. Uh, there's lots of other skis that out there that are awesome. Um, 
and I don't make every ski for everyone, but I definitely make some of the best skis for the type of ski skiers that I build them for. Um, I got two brands, J skis and forefront. And, uh, depending on your style of riding, there's definitely a ski for most people, unless you're into really narrow carving race skis. Um, and a lot of them are actually as good for a pro level skier as someone that's just getting into the sport. Um, for Jay, especially like my skis are just super nimble, playful. A lot of people call us up and they say, Hey, these skis are kicking my ass. Like they're exhausting to ride. I get tired out easily, hard to maneuver. And those are skis that win awards like top skis and like ski mag, for example, they have, you know, testers with legs of steel. So, uh, you get the guy that, you know, most people, they work during the week or they go to school and they get to ski if they're lucky a couple times a week. Um, my skis are so much more nimble, playful, intuitive, uh, more fun, less tiring. And that's for that person. And the same is true for someone like Garida Dolly that's dropping, throwing doubles off cliffs. Um, and so we really focus on uh, for Jay to keep it really, really, really versatile, really playful, fun. I mean, it's all about having more fun. That's why I started making skis back in 95 when I started line. It was all about making skiing more fun. Um, and that's what this J brand is all about as well. And I do it with, with only five adult models, actually, um, because I know the meat of the market and like the type of ski that you need. Uh, you don't need something way out in left field or way, way out here. You don't need you know, five different versions of this one model. We're going to make it the absolute best. We're going to give you the best mounting point. We've tested it. I've got decades of experience. And so uh, developing these skis. So if you've ever been a fan of any of my skis in the past, you're going to only love these better. When it comes to Forefront, you know, Forefront was a West Coast brand for 15 plus years. And those are going to be the best skis for the deepest pow. You know, Touring, got Hoji, you know, Eric Corlson on them, um, Thane Rich. And these, these skis, a lot of them have a little bit of reverse camber. They're going to float incredible. Most other ski companies just don't, honestly, just don't have the balls to build skis like Forefront. When it comes to touring, skiing pal, there's nothing easier in those conditions. They're stiffer than the J skis. They're going to be more powerful in the chop and the chunder. Um, so, you know, two different sides of the spectrum. Um, both brands offer a huge variety. And uh, if, you're, if you call yourself a skier, and that's the big difference, you know, there's always someone that says, hey, Christmas, look, it's snowed out. Maybe we should go to the store, get some skis and go to the mountain. I build skis for people that refer themselves as skiers. You know, I'm a skier. If that's what you call yourself, then I've got a ski for you. Jamie goes skiing, wants to know, can I work for you? Yeah, you can work for me. <laughs> Good, news, next time. <laughs> Good news, Jamie. We got you a job. Yeah, you just next time I, I post a job on social media, apply. It's that easy, man. And there's, I mean, there's so there's dozens and dozens of people that just came out off the street or came out of college and stepped in here and were packing envelopes with stickers. And now they're running companies, you know, like Josh Malchak, who runs line skis and full tilt boots for over, over a decade now. Like he started with me as an intern. He was answering the info ad emails and packing stickers, you know, probably 15 years ago when he was going to college here. And so, yeah, sky's the limit, man. You just got to get your foot in the door and you don't have to be with me. You can go work at a ski shop. People ask me all the time, how do I get in the ski industry? Well, you don't go like knock on the president of the company's door and be like, hey, I want to I want, I have your job. You know, you got to start, you know, start at the most basic level, get a job at a ski shop and you're going to meet all the ski reps that come in there that are representing all the brands and you always raise your hand and say, hey, if there's anything else I can help you out with anytime, give me a call. Here's my number. And you're going to have access to that, the entire industry starting with 
by working at a ski shop, doing anything. And if you're proactive, one thing will lead to another. Next thing you know, you're helping at a demo. Next thing you know, you're helping the sales guy. And then you're applying for a marketing coordinator job and so on and so forth. So you'll just, you can work your way all the way to the top, man. Just got to get your foot in the door. Davis Tom wants to know in a related question, uh, do you drug test employees asking for a friend? <laughs> I don't think there'd be many. Yeah. Well, no, we don't. <laughs> there wouldn't be many employees in the ski industry if that was the case, would there? So yeah, no, we're pretty, uh, we, that's not important. If you show up and do your job, it's all good. I mean, do your you know, job. Of course, it's going to be a problem if you just start doing drugs in the office, but you know, don't do we, drugs uh, in the office. We judge you by yeah, we, we judge you by your performance, okay, not your uh, after-hours activities. Okay. Um, I had a question. I wanted to ask you about this role with a pro thing you've got going. Um, what is it? How's that going? So, role with a pro is a platform that I created with. Um, a partner in Toronto that uh, called Normative, and and they focus on uh, digital platform creation, that type of stuff. It's a pl- it's a marketplace, a two sided marketplace where pros can go on there of, of many levels. It could be a pro, meaning an expert, all the way up to literally a pro. You know, Travis Pastrana uh, to just your your kind of local hero. They go on there and they can offer time spent with you to teach you, uh, coach you, or just having it once in a lifetime experience. So. The, the, the fans of, the, of that person or just people that are going on this platform can look. So let's say you're in Colorado. It's like, okay, I'm in Colorado. I've never been to this mountain. Um, I'm going to see who's available. Or let, let's say, you know, someone um, has on the platform an opportunity to go skiing with them or tour you around to the best spots or whatever it may be. You pay money up front to go spend that time. They're going to show you the best spots or whatever it is you pay for and whatever they want to offer. It might be go slide rails, you know, for a day in the summer with Andy Perry. What led me to do this is you've got all these really high level, um, knowledgeable, skilled people out there, athletes, a lot of them, you know, it could be artists, could be musicians, it could be any, anyone. And they're having tr- trouble monetizing their, their perceived value. Basically they have 60,000 followers and they're begging to get a thousand bucks from a, from a sponsor, right? So how could they monetize their value with their, to their 60,000 fans is they put the opportunity to spend time with them learning or just doing what they're best at on this platform. And then a customer can go on there and pay to have that once in a lifetime experience. So that's all it is. It's almost like a Craigslist of spending time with people. It's an Airbnb of pros time. So that platform, Roll With The Pro, is in the works right now, depending on when you're listening to it. So we're kind of redeveloping it and going to continue to evolve it and roll it out and check it out every now and then, see what we got. Okay. We had a bunch of questions about ski graphics. Jacob Nelson just writes, Bob Ross 2, and then had like 10 question marks after that. Yeah, so the Bob Ross ski is right here and uh he's you know he's a legend dude of course so we made the ski with his artwork and it went off i mean it's it's like 20 percent of our sales right now just this one graphic this one ski and really one of the first ones that went viral to this extent i mean this guy's afro how are you going to deny that right man he's the man so uh yeah it went off and he's like 
hey, I hope you make a second one. I think that's what he's saying. And I hope too as well. Bob's the man. AJ wants to know, did whoever come up with the Bob Ross graphic get a raise? <laughs> did anyone... <laughs> Did I get a raise? I don't think so. But I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to do Bob Ross for a long, long, long time. And uh, way back in the line days, I want to do. I mean, it's kind of a complicated thing. You got to license it, you know, from uh, people that operate Bob's Ross's estate. And uh, but they, you know, they were hesitant, and it took a while to negotiate a reasonable price so I can actually sell it for a reasonable price. Um, but now that they see the ski, they're all about it. They they can't get enough. They actually put one of the ski in the Bob Ross Museum that's opening up in Indiana this year. That is truly amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, went, it went beyond skiers, this Bob Ross ski. <laughs> yeah. An, another side note, I think I'd seen that there, that Folsom skis had made a ski and some, you know, their customer had asked to put Bob Ross on that ski. So I think uh-huh. it actually is fair to say the 1920s ski season is, I think, officially the, the season of Bob Ross. Yeah, man, Bob's hot right now. Bob is um, hot. <laughs> he's Bob so is hot. Right hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Folsom's awesome. Those guys just make whatever you come up with, too. So, you know, <laughs> you can just send them a picture of whoever you want. They'll throw it on the ski. It's great. Larry Leg wants to know what's your favorite J Skis graphic so far? Uh, my favorite J Skis graphic actually is the Wizard Staff. I got. I put kind of my favorites in the background. Not even expecting, but yeah, the wizard staff right here. Check out the uh, <laughs> the the bases say I am a wizard. Are we getting this, Taylor? Okay. So, and then the top sheet is uh, the top graphic is a stack of cans that we like created, like Ice Coast and Apre and stuff. I, I roll up on these still. This is like three years later, and I, I went to like my kids' uh, night skiing club. I was a chaperone in middle school, and like. My son was like, "Really, Dad? You're you're gonna ride skis with beard on? Do you think that's a is that appropriate?" <laughs> it was awesome, but yeah, everyone loves a man the lift lines. Um, related question: uh, Ethan Reeves and Jacob Flom, they kind of had a related question. Um, what's your favorite graphic of all time? And I think they wanted to kind of expand out, not just of a on, that you've put on a J ski. But do you kind of have a graphic from any ski you've ever seen where you're like, that's kind of my, that's the one? My favorite ski that I've ever seen graphic-wise, regardless of the brand, I mean, of course I'm going to say mine. I just, <laughs> I mean, that's why I made skis in the first place because the graphics are generally lame. But, um, and there's a lot of good graphics out there today, of course. Um, they get better. They've gotten better and better because of the digital printing. That's the key is you couldn't create um, I mean, Tara, grab that ski for me. The, uh, the schmies, like, like there's, they're photo real, you know what I mean? Yeah. The graphics now, like, and it's just digitally printed. You don't have to create screens. I mean, like you look at this base, it's just wild style. Um, and then the top, like it's unlimited, the amount of color. So you just couldn't have done this back then. Like back then it was like, you got to do six color screen print. That's it. Um, today, so basically the most recent skis, and I probably have them up here, are my favorite. And the Master Killer one I did with Wu-Tang yeah. was pretty rad. And um, I don't know, man. I, I guess I just have too much trouble picking one. That's why I'm always creating the next one because I think it's going to be better than the last one, you know, and finding some new artists. So sorry, guys. I don't have a favorite favorite of all time. And 
It might even just be Team Ski Blades, honestly. <laughs> Simple, man. Team Ski Blades. Like, are you going to beat that with that on your base of your ski? Or Ski Fast Lose Pass. Yep. You know? That's a good Gry, one. Gry, uh, the Brotherhood. <laughs> part of the Brotherhood. Yeah. It has, has, sometimes it's all about the meaning more than the visual as well to me, you know? So this is another question from me. It seems like you're using graphics from a lot of different artists these days, maybe more than ever. Is that true? Yeah. I use, like each ski uh, for Jay and Forefront now, we use artists often. But um, for Jay specifically, that's like our main focus is uh, collabing with artists. And they're from all over the world. Like we just... I've just gotten to the point where like we will find them online and then we'll just cold call them and, um, and more times than not, they're down to do something, you know? So why not? It just brings you the most variety. I mean, it's hard to have a graphic designer in house or even out of house. that's going to bring that kind of versatility variety. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of flavor. Yeah. We just, yeah, we just, that's the point. Like expect the unexpected. Like we're always going to find someone new with a different flavor and different, you know, different meaning on the ski. I love this name. This handle is, I think, my favorite. <laughs> Ginger McGinger, thirteen, wants to know: uh, Will Jay ever get into the goggles game? I don't think I'm going to get in the goggles game, man. It's just so many people doing goggles. If I did, it would just be for like a good laugh, like something on there that no one's going to bother putting a graphic on, which would actually be cool. I could probably apply a lot of these graphics to a cool goggle, but. Not right now, I guess. Uh-oh. Maybe, maybe nothing's impossible. I think Ginger there. McGinger just got the wheels turning a little bit. Ginger, man, he's gonna be my next intern. We're gonna start a goggle division, sure. <laughs> goggle division. Um, we we by the way have kind of transitioned to sort of uh, related product category questions that came in. Uh, so in addition to Ginger McGinger's goggle question, uh, Zach Tuss, Zach Tuss, I don't know how to say it. Are you going to make suspenders? <laughs> I don't have any plans for suspenders, but you never know. Suspender division, you and Zach. Yes. Okay, we got two new divisions. Max Bailey wants to know, do you enjoy snowboarding? Have you ever made or will you ever try making boards? Yeah, so I do enjoy snowboarding uh, occasionally. I snowboard with my wife a few times a year because she's a snowboarder. And I actually... Um, snowboarding's huge part of my history. I mean, when I was a kid, skiing was pretty lame. And, uh, it, you know, it was just race skis. Uh, I'll just show you. Like, this is the ski. I've got a Razi uh, 4S here that um, this is what you rode. You know, this is like a flat tail, you know, super straight uh, side cut. And, I mean, look at the the flex. You can't even flex this thing. Um <laughs> I'm just flexing it here for you. So, I mean, look how thick it is underfoot. You know, it's like three quarters of an inch. So this thing was supposedly, you know, slalom or giant slalom. And, and this was as good as it gets in terms of carving. If you were in a powder, you're on something, you know, 70-ish waist. And that's the best you could have in a powder. This is a 204. This is what I rode every day in the bumps. Um, but this is very limiting, obviously. Like you're going to be, you know... You're not going to go backwards. You're not going to float very easily. You're not going to carve very easily. It's super stiff. You ain't going to be buttering on it. And uh, although Wayne Wong did, um, <laughs> so th- that's what drove me to to make the different ski. But before I had the idea for a different ski, I was snowboarding, and everyone was snowboarding. All the kids, you know, if you were under 30 years old, you either learned to snowboard and bother skiing, 
and skiing was just declining or you just switched over from skiing to snowboarding because you can do so much more. You can go backwards, you can float, you can carve, you can do tricks. And so I just applied that and I was one of those kids. So I jumped on the snowboard and I'd often bring both to the mountain. I'd literally like snowboard half the day and then I'd ski because I was just thinking, man, there's, I still want to ski. You know, I still want to stand forward. It's just more comfortable. I like skiing, but I want to be able to do everything on my skis that I do on my snowboard. And that's what led me to, to create the first, you know, twin tip ski that I made. Uh, and you know, so snowboarding is what ignited the fire in my mind of why to change and, and even start making skis. And if someone else was making the ski, I wouldn't have had to make, start a ski company. I would have just bought the twin tip ski, uh, but they weren't. So that's what I ended up doing is, is getting on, making my own. And, and I, and I still have mad respect for snowboarding, of course. And, uh, you know, skiing after, the, after a while, just was able to go a little bit further in some ways, just because of the ease on two feet and the variety of tricks that can be done because you have two independent feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think, I think now, you know, it's just a different story when you look at snowboarding and I can see why someone says, Hey, what do you think about snowboarding? But, you know, not realize it had anything to do with uh, what, why I'm making skis today, but it, it's a big, huge part of it. All right. Well, we're back to some ski questions. You just segued us back into some ski questions. So my question, you recently dropped your 1920 season line. What should we know about it? Uh, well, for, for Jay, it's nuts how, how many people keep coming back for the same model year after year or, or tell their friends about it and they come back. So I'm less about the, the bullshit uh, fake technology you know, and I'm more about like, how does a ski actually handle? And like, what do you need to make it like to, to handle that way and ride that way? So you're not going to see any like wacky, like magnets, uh, uh, like things that are like doing weird shit or like things bolted to the top sheet or 3d, you know, things like just on there for the sake of being on there so that I can show you and say, this is new. Um, but all my skis are, they're very progressive. Like you're going to get on them and people email me all the time. I feel 10 years younger. You know, that's like a common thing. I could do so much more on the ski um, or there's so much more fun. You know what I mean? And so in general, that's what you're going to get on my new skis. But they're new, but they're not, hey, I'm selling, I'm not selling used skis. They're new, but I didn't, I, I'm not every year creating a completely new model because a lot of these were that ahead of the time. Like we've got the metal, for instance, that's, you know, going on its fifth year and it's still winning awards in the magazine, you know, as top, top ski in the category. Um, and that's true of most of them. And when I, when we design them, you know, I, I work with Francois Sylvain. I've worked with him for, you know, well over two decades. Um, he did all the line skis back in the day with me and we're always, we're not designing what people are asking for. We're designing what people are going to be asking for. So the ski is already a bit ahead of the curve and you might get on it the first time and be like, Whoa, but two, three years later, that thing is right where the market wanted to be. Um, and so don't look for me to drop a completely new model. I drop new graphics every year and I have enough models where if you own, you could own two to three of our pair and you have an awesome quiver, you know? So, uh, you know, that's a little different way of summing it up. I'm sure some people would be like, well, our latest and greatest ski is absolutely amazing. No one's ever made a ski like that. That's bullshit, dude. It's just skiing. This stuff's like you're sliding down the hill on a two by four if you want. Um, and on the forefront side of things, the shit's growing like crazy with, you know, Hoji, especially the, his whole series there, um, the Raven and the Renegade and, and the Hoji, 
they're just built like no other ski. I mean, they're, they just are so damn easy to ski in the powder and not in a, in a lame way as in like, Oh, you gotta be an intermediate to use the ski. But like Eric says, you know, he, he doesn't want to work hard when he's skiing, you know, and you want to be able to do more with less. And that's the beauty of, of, of like his series, especially you can just pivot on a dime and tight trees. It's just insane how easy it is in the deeper snow and stomping landings and you can just rely on it. And same with, you know, the MSP series and, and, uh, you know, that, that for forefront is a grip it and rip it really powerful, shocking, uh, ski for most people that for the first time are getting on forefront. I think they'd be blown away at, at like the high technical level of that MSP ski, you know, with metal in it. It's, it's right there head, you know, head to head with all the, the top, you know, skis in that type of category. So, I mean, we got it all, but we don't have to build it all in terms of like, we're not dropping 25 different models. That's just ridiculous. That That's like, that's what companies do when they don't know what to make and they're only making what the store is asking them to make. And they're making it, every store is asking for something different. So they literally build every possible different variation, every possible price point. And then they'll sit here and say, yeah, we make 25 different models and you really need all of, you know, you're going to see three of them on a wall in the shop. And we're not driven by what stores need. We don't, if some store in Alberta says, hey, we need a cheaper ski and some store in Vermont says we need a more expensive ski and another, another place in the Pocono says we need a narrower carving ski, we're not going to make that. That's not what's driving us. We're listening to the end customer that is actually skiing them. And we're talking to seven to 10,000 customers every season, like literally one-on-one by text, email, um, phone having real conversations. I mean, sometimes I look back when you're selling direct and there's a thread on an email goes back over a month and it's pages deep, just talking about skiing. So when we go to build the next ski, we're building it based on those conversations of the real skiers, our real customers, not the guy in the shop that says, Hey, I need a lower price point or I want the ski to be all black. It's easier to sell. You know, that's, that's the game that everyone selling to retail is playing. I'm in a completely different playing field, selling and building and developing what my customers actually want to ski and what's going to be the best for them, not not the best for the store selling it to them. How's that for a rant, man? That's a pretty good rant. Um, <laughs> and by the way, I mean, we've we've always kind of beat that drum of like, dear companies, dial your product in and then leave it alone. We have conversations with all the companies and they're like, yeah, but if we don't switch things up every year or every couple exactly. of years, then no one will care about it anymore. And I'm just like, I don't know, that's always been a driver for us because we're not taking any advertising dollars from anybody in the game. And so it's like, look, we will keep giving best of awards if you just don't change the damn ski or the boot or whatever. <laughs> That's amazing that you're saying that because that's exactly the motivator. I mean, one of my last kind of like, this is ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to complain, but just it's the reality of working for a big ski company is at line. You remember the profit series? Yeah. Like that was literally pioneered the, the, the segment of fat carving skis, like wider than like 80, let's say like side cut metal. Like you, ba we basically like Francois and I, like he comes from a racing background as an engineer. He was building his own race skis back in the nineties. I was building these twin tip ski boards and we got together in, in like 99 and just combined like my vision with his expertise of, of technical know-how 
you know, he, he, he takes my ideas and puts them into numbers and then he has his own ideas as well. Anyway, he was like, screw it. Let's just make, I'm going to make a ripping carving ski that at the time was considered wide. It was a hundred yep. profit hundred. Yep. And it, and it's four years later, the, the best part is it took four years before a magazine said it was a good ski because it was too ahead of its time. And on that fourth year ski magazine put it on the cover and said ski of the year. And it just blew up from there on out. And it went for years as the best skis we made 90 and nine hundred. It started actually Pollard was on like a one thirty. It was insane. And, and then like my last year, uh, at line, uh, there was so much pressure from the sales reps and those, and the shops, dude, it was a hundred percent the shops who would tell the sales reps and distributors who then they don't make any, they have no, instead of having a vision of their own, they come to us and say, you need to change it to sell more or to sell any, you know, like this has to be changed. Need, need a new name. Need, think about the heritage of the Burton custom. I mean, that's like decades worth of heritage of that series. And they dropped and they just said, we got to change the profit. And I was like, dude, that's the dumbest decision of all time. Not because I just don't agree with it, but because the motivation for it is, is ridiculous. Like you're going to get rid of your best selling ski because the store decided that they wanted something quote unquote new. And here's an example of, of why the opposite, why that's, that shouldn't be the case. So here at jskis.com, my website, we sell more look pivot bindings than anyone else in the country. We're the like number one look pivot dealer. Hmm. And think how ridiculous that is. We shouldn't be. We're not, I mean, yeah, we sell a lot of skis and 30% of them are bindings, but that's an expensive binding. That's like a high performance binding, but the shops won't carry it because it's quote unquote old. It's old technology. Is it not performance? Hell no. That shit performs amazing. I mean, why do you think everyone in the X Games is on it, right? And all the big mountain comps, they're all on that pivot. Uh, the reason it's not, they, the reason the stores don't carry it is because they just want the new new. I mean, if you just put like a, a light on the front of your binding and say, this is the latest thing and it, it's going to be better because it lights up with an LED, they're all over that shit, right? Does that actually help you? No. It's like, so your decision making gets so skewed as a manufacturer when you are driven and like they got you by the balls basically because who are you selling to? It's the stores and they want the new new whether it's better or not. You know, it's just, it's easier. Let's put it that way. It's the same reason why when you look through the buyer's guide, most of the skis are black with a giant logo because same reason it's easy to sell black gloves, black long johns, black hats, black hoodies. Like, you know, it's just easier. It doesn't mean the consumer wakes up in the morning is like, the best thing I can imagine is a black ski. No, it's just no one's going to not like it, right? You come into the store and it's like, oh, that's the best ski for me? You look at the graphic and you just don't think about it. You're just like, I don't not like it. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> what we're trying to do is like bring to the market something that you, you, you actually – it makes your head turn. You, look, you catch it out of the corner of your eye. You're like, holy shit, what's that? You see it in your feed you know, on social and you're like, whoa, that looks sick. You know what I mean? And it may not be for everyone. I'm not saying it is, but you can do that and be for everyone or be very niche, you know? That's just the the way the gears work uh, in reality, you know, that it's kind of like living in the matrix, you know? And like once you get, once you, you realize you're in actually the matrix, then you're going to realize that you're being scammed or schemed on, you know? And 
tricked into think, thinking things are better because of for reasons that they're not. Let's see. It's either Brian ten ten or Bryn ten ten. Will I be a better skier on Jay's skis? He wants to know. I think you've already answered this. Of course but... you will be. Okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. We, he should already know that if he's bothering writing that question. Come on. Um. All right. Photo liking ninja, and Kai Winroy and LJ Massaro want to know. All three wrote in to ask, "What is your personal favorite Jay ski?" The all play. That's what I ride every day. I'm an East Coast kid, so I'm, of course, on firmer snow. It's 98 waist, but I just love the playfulness of it. A lot of people like a really stiff ski, but you can butter with it. You can, you know, trans handle transitions. You surf in the pow. It's super surfy, you know, like boot deep pow. It's awesome. I just, I'm a freestyle guy in my, in my roots, so I like that. But then if I'm in pow, I'm on the vacation. And that too is, is, is playful. If I'm out West, like charging, like skiing really fast through a lot of chop, then like the forefront Raven or Hoji, cause that thing's just got a lot of rocker and stiffness and you can just plow through that stuff when you got big open spaces like that. And I'm that, honestly, I'm never in deep pal. Like that's kind of a reality. So I, otherwise I'd put on the list, like the, the J friend, you know, as a pal ski, but like the reality is it's just like, it's rare for me. Like I'm spending most of my winter working my ass off. So <laughs> that's part of being in the ski industry. You don't always get to ski as much as you want. Kyle Lanning, you just answered this question. Kyle wanted to know what forefront skis do you ride and why? So your yeah. answer, Raven and Hoji. Yeah. Okay. For those days. Yeah. For those days. Jacob Carter asks, what ski have you made that you are the most proud of? I actually am really proud of the all play. Um, it, it hit, I've gotten people that would rent product like they're beginners and they get on the ski and they're like, holy shit, this is so much easier. Like they come off a rental setup or just like a cheap ski that a shop's going to sell them because it's cheap. And that stuff's so outdated. That's like a big problem is people getting into skiing and getting on outdated product or product that someone thinks is the best for them. I mean, what's best for like a world cup racer is not the best DNA in a ski for someone just getting into it. So the all play is like really playful, surfy, easy, forgiving. But the sickest part of it is you got guys like um, Sam Zaner, who's in Colorado, you know, skiing urban, hitting urban thing is bomb proof. It's durable. Right. And you got pros on it, you know, guys like Garai hitting huge jumps in the park. So it can really handle like high speed, high performance pro level riding, but it's also as good on, for just someone getting in the sport. So I am, I'm really proud of that because I'm not coming from a, an angle in skiing where it's like, I only build elite skis for elite skiers. You know what I mean? I'm like power to the people. I want to build something that empowers everybody to become a better skier, regardless of the level. Big purple ski suit. <laughs> what a name. These names are fantastic. Not as good as ginger McGinger 13, but what's the most progressive ski for its era? that you ever designed? Yeah. So the most progressive ski you ever designed at that time was definitely the profit. Like I was saying, it was ahead of its time um, because it was basically a fat carving ski. And I think some of Pollard skis uh, with Eric, we designed, you know, Eric was always so far ahead. I mean, he never even, he rarely back in the day rode a production ski because he was always like two skis ahead of where we were. By the time we made what he wanted, he was already on to the next thing we were building prototypes for. So uh, powder would be Pollard and, and, you know, grip it and rip it type ski that was 
ahead of its time was the profit series from line. And that's all because in the early 2000s when all the progression was going on. I mean, right now, everything's coming down in, in, in it's, it's narrowing down where it's like everything from like a high 90 to like a 110. That's about all you need for like most days. You know what I mean? Like the 80-20 rule where like 80% of the time you could do with this and yeah, 20% something else. But I mean, the early 2000s, like people had like five skis they rode all the time because they were so out there and niche in each discipline where today one ski is going to get you so much more versatility. And so there's just a lot less innovation today. That's why people are putting, you know, LED lights and gravity, reverse gravity, whatever, springs on their ski. I don't know. <laughs> reverse gravity springs? In fairness, we have not tested that ski yet. So I think, I think Jay, you may maybe just made that one up. But uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing that come through Blister HQ. <laughs> first gravity i'm sure you will dude i'm sure you will give it a minute um calvin sobo wants to know on the early bird release how fast did the skis ship we shipped skis like a couple days after people ordered we we had a lot in stock right now you know we're selling for jay we're selling uh 4500 pair this year and for forefront you know just under 3000 pairs so uh, we have most of that in stock and shipping, which is awesome because, uh, you know, even though it's summer, the people I sell to, it's like it's snowing in their brains. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it's snowing in our office right now. You see the snow? I mean, we were literally like, it was August 1st. It was 90 degrees. We were sweating our ass off and selling skis like, and we did 220 pair on August 1st, the first day we launched for Jay. It was insane. So we were just here from like seven in the morning to like past midnight, just so like, answering emails and live chat and everything it was awesome so yeah that's why like i said like if you're buying my skis you call yourself a skier it doesn't matter what time of year you're that's all that's on your mind it's always snowing in your brain um, yeah i like that <laughs> official finn whittington wants to know can you do a collab with star wars oh star wars collab that would be sick i i looked into it it was like 20 or 30 grand minimum that you'd have, so you'd have to just do so much product. It just, it didn't make any sense. Sorry about that. I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep trying though. I love Star Wars. Finn, you just need to buy like, I don't know, 10,000 R2-D2 skis. Or a sticker or something that says Star Wars and stick it on there. Uh, Justin Ski 6 wants to know, are you going to make mogul skis? Good question. Uh, I, I love moguls back in the day and, uh, now it, you know, I just break myself when I go through them, but they're, I mean, I have fun in them for like 10 minutes, but then I'm like, Oh, uh, I, mogul skis are mogul skiing is awesome. First off, just get that out of the way. And it probably should come back. I think it would be rad if people just like started, like the people that are in the park actually went in the bumps and just were like, I'm going to kill it. But the problem today is, you know, the, what happened? Oh, here it is. So my, my, this Rossi 203, this thing rips bumps, but no one's on this thing. Like what this can do in the moguls is so much more than any of the skis behind me, any skis I make. So you literally do need a mogul ski. And it's like, who's going to just buy just a mogul ski? You know, it's, it's hard. Like with Forefront, we had some mogul skis and we tried selling them and they sold a couple, you know, but it's too niche of a product, uh, for a small company like me, you know what I mean? So, you know. If you were a big company, I think you could probably sell enough to make it worth it. But for us, we'd be losing the money making them, unfortunately. Sorry about that. Maybe, though, if you if those mogul skis, if you started making them and they had Chewbacca on them, 
Maybe yeah, that would, Star Wars moguls. Maybe man. that would move them. So keep that in mind. <laughs> you, that one's for free. That that bit of advice Thanks. is for free. So you you keep that. Uh, Appreciate it. Henry Hill twelve wants to know what is a ski design that you have wanted to make but haven't. There's kind of a related question. Uh, DMC D Chong. Uh, asks, is there a ski you want to build but haven't because you don't think anyone will want to ride it? Well, okay. So I've been wanting to build a ski that could handle urban sliding rails or, you know, in the park that was like indestructible um, or replaceable or something, something that was like specific for the handling rails. Because eventually if you beat a ski against a steel piece of steel or concrete, guess who's, what's going to win? The, the steel, right? You, you can't really build a ski tough enough to just go for years with that kind of abuse. Um, so one time we made like this proto where we put inserts upside down in the base and we screwed in along the sides, like an inch wide steel plate. And that figured like you'd replace the plate, but then that got super sticky that, that plate. And it was, it was just tough cause there was always a seam. Um, and we tried crazy fat edges and we tried no edge, no edge. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're like, standing at the top of a stair set sure it's great but like making your way to a rail on the hill is like <laughs> absolutely like the most frightening thing of all your entire life like you literally go around a turn we had it where there was no edge for like a foot and a half under your foot and and it was real smooth so like it, it wasn't hooking up weird but you were fine and then you like go over anything that was like convex like you know what i mean like a roll even a gentle roll that you didn't think was a roll and you just wipe out on your hip. You're just like, I'm skiing. This is sweet. Then just boom, you're on your ass. So I still love to solve that. We made the afterbang, which was built like a skateboard, a bunch of veneers for line. And that was crazy durable for sure. But it's still just tough to win, man. It's tough to be a ski that's going to hold an edge on, on snow. And then that edge is going to like last. Even if you make that edge, out. I'm sure it's possible, man. I still think there's opportunity there. That's probably like, one of the last frontiers I wish I could just dedicate a ton of time to and just make stupid, crazy variations until we figure out something more durable or something so cheap that it's kind of like a skateboard where you throw it away. That's what we were trying with the afterbang, but it's tough to save a dot, save enough to, to pass that on. You know, it's still, you got to go through the whole process of making the damn thing. And there's, there's not much cost savings pulling an edge out of a ski or anything like that. Related question. Here's a good one. Fruity skierity. Fruity Skierity, what's the funkiest ski design that you have ever seen or want to make? Kind of a related question. Yeah, it was kind of like that rail ski I'd want to make. The one one funky design, like Pollard made a 150 waisted, uh, 172 uh, shovel twin tip ski. It was full camber because it was back in the day. He's just like, I gotta land backwards, like make it wider, make it wider. And we're like, dude, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like we just kept making it wider and wider. Dude, they were so wide. Like it was insane. It was like wider than half a snowboard. <laughs> there's a photo of him with him like crossed over his back. Like it, it looks like there, there's not, it's like two snowboards across his back. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so that was pretty zany before the rocker came into things to help float. So yeah, just stupid wide ski was probably the, the wackiest, even though just making it wide. I mean, you try carving on that shit and he had crazy deep side cut too. So it was like the most carvy yet the most floaty, <laughs> but short too, 172. So they're like ski boards almost. Wow. Okay. Well, 
this is probably a good time uh, for Harrison Eli's question. He just said, tell an Eric Pollard story. Was that oh, your story? Or you got another one. Yeah, I got another Pollard story, <laughs> man. Like the crate, the, and this isn't totally ski related. I was at a trade show at ISPO in Germany and the first day. And then someone said, Hey, Pollard got hurt in Russia. And, and then they're flying him to Germany. This was after a couple days actually of him sitting there. So they, so he went, I was like, shit, man. And like, no one was with him. So like, I took a train to see him and I thought I was going to be like, you know, just kind of give him some moral support and like, they were going to maybe fix his broken leg. Dude, it was, it was like out of a horror movie. It was really bad. He, like, he broke his leg, but or something in a way that it could. Ha- I forget what it's called, but like, it can swell up, and they actually have to slice the bag around your muscle, like your natural, like the material that holds your muscle in your leg. Um, so they didn't think that was a problem. He was in so much. So I ended up sleeping in the hotel next to him, huh. or not hotel, the fuck, the freaking uh, awesome. hospital. We didn't speak German. They didn't speak any English. It was insane, man. Like there was just like basic yes and no. And we kept trying to, and we were kept trying to say like, yo, he's in a lot of pain. Like there's something wrong. And they kept being like, no, this is normal. This is okay. And people were warning us like he could have this thing where um, like you could end up losing your muscle, then you lose your leg. And so after days, uh, I mean, just somehow like, you know, hours turned into days and then he's in so much pain. They finally realized, yes, this was a problem. They, they rush him down. They cut his leg. He's got an incision. He's coming out with a book and a movie that's insane, by the way. And it's going to, he's been working on it for three years. I've seen like four variations over three years. I don't know why he won't drop it. It, it will this year, I think. Hmm. Anyway, in there, you'll see, and it's, you'll see the inside of his freaking leg literally laced up like a shoe to try to keep it from like bursting open. They did that. Then two, two days later, or eventually his wife came and, and like, I, I had been a week, a week there for a week, like sleep in there and the whole, it was, it was psycho. And I re- started realizing like this hospital is kind of dirty or it's like, it doesn't seem right. Like there's people that have been here for like a month. Like I'm starting to like understand that like this might be a bad hospital. And I called my distributor and it's German. I was like, is this a bad hospital or is there a better place? He's like, no, all hospitals in Germany are the best hospitals you can get. And so like every time me and Eric had like this, like something's just not right. We'd have this like verification. And that's the worst part is like, you have no freaking clue. Like your gut is telling you otherwise. And, and I was like scared to like get in a car and just drive him somewhere. Like what if something happened and it was my fault? So eventually his wife comes out after a week, she finds a different hospital. They have to, cut the other side of the same leg. Now he's got two incisions on either side. Open up like a pair of high top shoes because otherwise it would have his muscles would have died. And dude, the story went on and on. He went home, he had like intravenous like antibiotics, all the shit. Today he can't lift his toes. Like his foot doesn't move up. And he's still surfing, snowboarding, skiing. He built custom boots, custom like surf shoes, sneakers, everything to keep his foot so he could play soccer. It's insane, dude. Like hmm. that's that has nothing to do with skiing, but the way he saw it is like he's lucky he got out with only that and all the things he did. And the, for me it was just like a life like a game-changing perspective of like that happening and like ha- what skiers actually put themselves at risk at, right? Like you're like, Oh dude, if they fall, that would suck. But it's like, 
no, you could fall, get broken and be in the wrong country and like lose your life's one thing, but you know, just, there's a million things. Right. And yeah, you ain't going to get out easy if you're doing those types of shit. shit so yeah. Whatever that's worth. That is a wild story. Yeah. That's the only thing that's like wild. Other, everything else was just making really cool skis together. <laughs> there is <laughs> one near death story. And, otherwise. and I'll tell you, I'll tell you one other fact about Pollard is he's the only kid I ever sponsored from a sponsor me video. He sent me a VHS tape, VHS tape. I think he was like 14 of him skiing and he was going backwards at hood skiing backwards, zero spinning, all this shit without poles. Uh, he had skis that they put tips on because um, Griffin uh, and Frazier, his buddies, the legends at Hood, they would made actual plastic tails that they bolt on to K2 skis and was selling those. And this crew was on these like stiff old school skis doing zero spins, no poles. Eric got kicked out of the X Games qualifier, literally wasn't allowed to qualify because he wasn't using poles. Three, four years later, Henrik won not using poles like he was just so far ahead that like everything he tried to do whether it was like designing a ski that like the engineers of the factory didn't want to build or just just he always found a way to like think very different and i was always up for just doing the different shit just going right with it you know like i love thinking different and and he did and and i didn't have the ideas i wasn't skiing like him uh but we were on the same page you know what i mean and, and we could complement each other well so it worked well Here's to Eric. <laughs> yeah. Well, this question came up like a billion times. And so we're just going to lump this in. Uh, we'll, we'll call out credit for a few folks. Uh, I'll butcher their names. Uh, Feed him and Maddie Robinson and Prevost Theo and Cam36363 and a bunch of other people asked, can I have a free pair of all plays or can I have a free pair of skis or can you give me a free ski even if it's only one of them? So given that you just said that Pollard was the only person that uh, you ever sponsored from a sponsor me video, what's the secret to getting free skis? Apparently there's a billion people who want to know this. The easiest, the easiest way to get free skis is to sign up to win on the website. Okay. That's, but you know, it's one chance in like, thousands you know shovel some snow on the driveway dude i mean really like you know there's probably some old people down the street make a little money that way and and pay for it because if i give them all away i'll be out of business right this i mean is, this is true. you know i gotta pay for the skis too that's what people don't realize i gotta actually buy them from a you know the factory that's making them who's then paying for all those raw materials so like free man that's tough you want me to pay you to go skiing that's going to be tough for me to afford. You better be an Eric Pollard. That's right. Just be Eric Pollard. That's the answer. <laughs> um, yeah. And actually that was Lockie Walker's question. Best way to get free skis and our answer, just be Eric Pollard or the next Eric Pollard, I guess. Or just go work a little bit, man. The skis are the cheapest part of the entire setup. Think about it. You got season passes over a thousand bucks. It's to fly, to get somewhere, stay at a hotel or get pay for gas for a season costs more than a pair of skis. I mean, just about everything related to skiing costs more than the skis themselves. Pretty weird if you think about it. On that note, I will tell you something else that's weird. Water costs more than gasoline. Water costs more than gasoline. Water often costs, a gallon of water 
You know, if you buy a bottle of water, that's not even a gallon in a store. That's like two bucks or more. Did you ever think there'd be a day people would be willing to pay more for the water they drink than a, than a gas? People complain about gas prices. Yeah, I don't do that by water. I'm I'm into I'm into tap water. Um, you also say the word water in a very interesting way. Yeah, Albany, New York, man. Okay, I'm the only, I say it with a D. I don't know why. Water. Water. Okay. Next time I go to Albany, I'll have I'll know how to talk to the locals. Okay. Well, let's just say you're 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 dying of thirst because you're stuck at a Seven Eleven for seven days straight. You're not going to buy a bottle of water. Of water? No. That sounds <laughs> whatever that product is you're talking about. I, I don't you can't want understand that. Me. No. Can't yeah, understand I would. That. I would go a different direction than that for sure. Um, Back to skis. Chomsky wanted to know, that's got to be a Noam Chomsky reference, so shout out to that. What do you see as the next direction in ski shapes slash profiles? It's come so far in the last decade that you're just not going to see that level of progression. Um, There might be some other major leap that I just don't have a vision for, Um, but I just think versatility 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 like you just can do more on the same product people want to get on the mountain and no matter what the condition might be pow in the morning and bulletproof by afternoon all skied off chopped up could be too wet and packed up bumps they want to have the best possible experience on one ski they want to be like oh shit i should have brought my other skis they don't want to go back to the car so when it comes to that versatility it's just finding the right balance between like i said flex and it's what he's saying, profile and, and shape, you know, and you just keep modifying and doing different iterations to dial it in, but nothing where you're going to look at it and be like, holy shit, that's insane. You know, usually the stuff that you see and say that to is like, isn't actually even affecting the ski. Like you change the shape of a tip. It's not going to change really how it rides, right? It's not even on the snow. So yeah. Ryan Fergie wants to know why did the Whippet F off? Yeah, so we stopped making the Whippet ski because uh, it was 90 waist freestyle ski and the all play is 98. And every year we were selling less of the 90 which and more of the all play. So, the, uh, so it's just progression, man. Like more people want, like I said, more versatility. Like I'm just, I'm talking to thousands of customers selling directly to them. And that's what they're telling us is like, I want a ski that can do it all and less of a ski that's on either end of the spectrum. So we actually cut a model this year. So talking about what we were saying earlier about, you know, how many miles to make, we made six last year, we make five this year and we sold more. So it's about making the right ski, not the most skis. What pit vipers will go best with my new pit viper slash J skis all plays. That's from Mark Harmon. Yeah, this is this is the new Pit Viper. <laughs> Full turbo. I guess the, the glasses are called 1993s. <laughs> so that's what Taylor here, who runs marketing, uh, suggests. Yeah, the 1993s. He's, he's, and he's an official Pit Viper fan. Like, he, he wishes he worked for Pit Viper, actually. Okay. Well, then, <laughs> then maybe we should ask Taylor this. But uh, James Zeno says... Please release a J Ski slash Pit Viper Mono Ski collab. Mono Ski, I think Faction's got a Mono Ski collab with those guys, man. Oh. We got to think different. We'll do maybe we'll do a ski board, ski blades. That's okay. a, that that might be more fitting. Okay. I tried a Mono Ski, man. That th- that's incredibly scary. 
Yeah. Everyone should try a monoski at some point. You have a lot of respect for people riding them. Okay. <laughs> I've not been on one yet. I was supposed to. Some it's years insane, ago. dude. It's the exact opposite. Every single thing about it is opposite of what you think. The way that you lean is there's just like I was like leaning on my pole and like bouncing my pole to try to stay up. It was insane. <laughs> I think in powder it might be pretty awesome. Like I got a little bit of powder and I started feeling the surf ability. But on a groomer, like you, you have to try one this year. Just oh, man. get it, get it from Faction, and, and give it a review. I want to see the video of that. Okay, maybe <laughs> go go to the top of the crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this sounds perfect for Crested Butte, like yeah, super just, steep technical terrain. I love Even it. Even a groomer, no, go to the top of this of a groomer, dude. No, if you could ski to the bottom without. No, I'm thinking like super low angle, super deep snow. (laughs) Like I'm going to Japan. Um, That's where I'll get on this. Uh, What's your best ski for moguls and your best ski for East Coast POW? That's from E. Munley. Yeah, East Coast POW. um, I mean, it's all relative to how wide you want to go. If you want like a one over 100, I go with the J Metal. If you want under 100, the Master Blaster. Um, if you're getting into pow, but still want like firm snow performance, I mean, the East coast, a traditional typical skier might be under, I don't know, man. It just depends on your personal preference. Like you got to think about what you like and we got to ski for everyone, not to be a sales guy, but it's kind of, I mean, some people think 110 waist is narrow, man. Some people think it's too wide to ever ski. 110 is definitely too wide to ever ski in my opinion. Just kidding. All um, right. Oh. Ben Vegas three wants to know why all twin tips? Why not some backcountry and Powski setups? And related question, Jawees VT wants to know when will we see a touring oriented J ski? Right on. So we you can tour on our skis. <laughs> Just, I love this answer from up. you. I love this. I mean, yes, continue. We've had this conversation multiple times. I mean, people are like, "What's the best <laughs> ski for touring?" It's like you're still skiing, right? Like you're skiing down the hill and these are really good for skiing downhill. Like, am I like, at first I was, I was thinking like, are you making these skis good for walking? Like I, I, I don't really design them based on how well they walk, especially uphill. So I understand it really comes down to lightness at the end of the day is really what they're asking. Yeah. But it's like, there are companies that make crazy light, skis for running up hills like literally com- com- competitions running up hills like i'm not big into walking myself just to be honest like <laughs> i just like i like to i like to you know like i grew up riding a bike a skateboard like anything rollerblades snowboard ski like so i just like going down i don't have much attention span so like i do enjoy the chairlift like it's pretty sweet you can just you're there but i do understand the value of getting out after pow that otherwise you can't get to so all my skis are great. Some, yeah, they're lighter than others that don't have metal in them, for instance. But even Backcountry Magazine, like the friend is a 117. They said it was the heaviest ski they've ever put, given an award to. And they did it two years in a row. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's all about the down, isn't it? Um, we are thinking about making a, a touring uh, type out. ski. I am about to. I know I've had so much pressure, dude. John, it's ridiculous how many people are. It's just kind of like rollerblading. I feel like in like the '90s, where it's like everyone had to own a rollerblade, and once they did, they're like, eh, you know, like how many people are buying like twelve hundred dollars setups to walk uphill, and then they're like, 
uh, that kind of sucked. <laughs> like, I'm just going to get a season pass and stuff. And, and they're still on their fucking touring setup, which is, like, not good for the down. Uh, it's Stratton on Bulletproof Icy Groomers. This is literally my favorite thing about you. Like, it was a couple years ago, and you called me, and you're like, why do people keep asking why we don't build touring skis or can we tour on our skis? And, and like, I spend so much time banging this drum as well about like weight is good in skis. There are specific times when you want to lighten up and outside of those specific times, stop this shit about I need the lightest ski boot and the lightest binding and the lightest ski. And it's just like, people are fundamentally confused about what they need. And so I just love that you are the one person that I've talked to in the industry that's like, I don't understand this. What do they mean? <laughs> I'm starting to understand, but I'm on the ice coast, man. Like, and we do make, so for Forefront, we're 100% deep in it. Like that's what we got athletes like Eric, you know, like Hoji's all about it. And and I just build whatever the hell he says to build. And if we don't build it right, he's the first one on saying like, hey, we got to adjust this. We got to adjust that. So it's like at the end of the day, I've always listened to the athletes and I build with, you know, they're the forward, they're the visionaries, right? And then the, the rest of the people will come. But for the, that, this is a J question for J skis specifically. And if I build a uh, quote unquote touring ski, I, I don't even think I could call it a touring. If I build just a lightweight ski, I'm going to probably build what the market doesn't do well already. I'm, no one needs more of the same thing, right? So I would build a freestyle, a lightweight freestyle ski that's going to be badass for, you know, it'll be light for walking up if you like it for that. And it'll be light for skiing for in the air. But like, it's not going to be light to the point where it ruins the downhill performance. That's just not like where we are, right? And people tour on our stuff all day. Uh, the J skis, like all the models, it's all it's all good. But if you want to run up the hill and beat your friend running up a hill with ski boots, like there's a lot of other brands that are better. And you're a fucking nut. You're, you're like a gl glutton for punishment, man. Because ski boots suck, right? Like, who wants to walk in ski boots? Period. Uh, but yeah, I guess if you are, like, there are boots that are more comfortable. So why not have skis that are lighter? Sure. Sure. Oh my gosh. This is amazing. <laughs> For now on, no one will buy skis that want to go touring from jc's.com. We're doomed. <laughs> I love this. Um, no, Phil McDermott, 28, wants to know Are we ever going to see a J193? And related question Chris Maras, Maras, Maris asks As a taller skier, six foot five, I have trouble finding skis that properly fit. Do ski companies shy away from the longer skis due to consumer interest, or is the industry as a whole not interested in making production model skis longer than 194 centimeters for the most part? This is that's a first off well-written question. Thank you. Good job, Chris. And and this has been a challenge, yes, for the industry. And I'll explain the reasons behind the scenes of what the challenge is. So there are bigger bigger humans on earth. Turns we know out. that. Turns and we've out. accepted that. <laughs> and skis need to be bigger for those people. Yes, that makes complete sense. And there are bigger shoes that those people need too. And companies like Nike can afford to make, for those very few people, the shoe. But the smaller the company gets, the less financially able we are to build skis that are on kind of the outskirts of what the most of the market is. So 
I'm not the Nike of the world to be able to build like that, that ski for let's say 0.5% of the market, right? Like it's just, it's, it's challenging to justify it because it's going to cost the same amount as building a ski that, you know, 90% of the market could enjoy. Um, so, and that's true whether you're at a big corp, big corporate ski company or, or small, like that's why you just don't see a lot of over 190 centimeter skis forefront pretty amazing i've been blown away the last three years um the longest skis sell incredible because of exactly what he's saying like no one no one just drops in and says screw it i'm gonna build a big ski for big people or people that just are that good that they love a big ski over 190 and uh so there's a couple skis in the line that that do sell well but it's because no one else is making them right uh but generally speaking like for Rosignol or someone like that, it's tough to justify financially. And it's real tough for like, for Jay, for my brand, we would like to, and we, you know, we make a 189, you know, it's, I guess, you know, it's an inch different than what you're saying on 92 or three. Um, that's where it is, man. It's hard to satisfy everyone, but I'll definitely consider it for Jay adding a, one or two long sizes. And I think as we grow, we can justify that we're just a little small now for it so go out there search forefront man you'll find some big skis and you'll enjoy them sleepy nick wants to know does steve step even troll anymore steve step is he is a troll dude like he's more of a troll than a human he he the best thing about steve step fun fact that i doubt many people know is he runs the IT department at backcountry.com. You're not going to find a bigger online retailer and that has to rely on that. Like literally backcountry.com, I think most of your technology is relying on Steve keeping that thing together and he kills it, I've heard from people. So he's even trolling us in terms of who he even is. <laughs> this guy is like an IT nerd working for a big company. and uh, But he's also funny as hell because he is that smart. You know, you got to be that smart to be that funny and the world as good as he does. John Lockman has an important question. We love this question. If you had a boat, what would you name it? I wish I could own a boat. I talk about it all the time. Do we're, you? We're, we're right near the lake, and I always tell these guys, man, someday we got to get a company boat. Uh, I guess we'd have to sit, call it, because um, it's going to be a shitty boat, it would be high dins, low standards. That's that's pretty much would sum up what we what you'd be getting on. All right. I think you need to put some work in that answer. But, John, it's a great question. Dude, we, people love that high dinsel. We put that on a Well, on that's a great. It has nothing it's... to do with – that. the glass is awesome. I would love to have one of those glasses. But uh, the glass is awesome. I'm not sure that really translates to the boat. The low standards well, part for sure. Well, you see how shitty this boat is, you're going to understand. Okay. Maybe just low standards. Maybe <laughs> okay, that's yeah, the name. Um, Jen Loves Drummers wants to know, what's your favorite ice cream? Uh, chocolate fudge brownie, Ben and Jerry's. Boom. Very specific. Yeah, you can't. I'm in Burlington. I'd be like, you, you see me being escorted out by the military police if I didn't say Ben and Jerry's. Interestingly, second food question from the oyster crew favorite way to eat or cook an oyster? I don't like seafood, man. I'm a, I, you know, I was on an exclusive peanut butter and jelly uh, lunch and pizza dinner diet when I started. Uh, making skis back in the day. I mean, literally every day, peanut butter and jelly and, and pizza. So the, the oysters, it's just, 
it's too expensive and it's too weird. It's like eating an alien or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like eating an alien. Wow. Yeah. It looks like you won't ever be uh, getting the marketing job for the the oyster industry. For Red Lobster? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, think about, just think about like seafood. It's It's like an alien. It's like a different planet under there in the water. And like everything that comes out of the water is just weird. It's just, it just smells too, man. I'm gonna really. I'm gonna like Red Lobster sales are dropping after this. Yeah. You- yeah. Sell that stock. Short the stock. <laughs> um, I love that in this conversation we've learned that two things you really dislike: oysters and walking. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, honestly. Oh man, um, this was a good question, Adam from over at the Out of Podcast. Yeah, wanted to know cool. what's your favorite idea that never worked out? My ideas didn't work. All my idea, all my favorite ideas, all the things that worked out originally didn't work out. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but like that, that's the reality. Like all my ideas, the first time I tried it failed. It's the same as like learning a trick. Like I attribute everything the same as skiing, everything I do in business. And it's like you roll up onto something and like you hit a jump, let's say, and, or you go ski some pow and like you fall and you're like, what the hell? Like that was going to be awesome. I thought it was going to be sick. Like that should have been the best experience ever. It should have totally worked and it doesn't. And you do it like dozens and dozens and dozens more time. And then before you know it, you got something that few other people can do, right? Or have done. So it's just about persistence. Like that's what success is. And that's what like, it's not about being better than someone or thinking better than someone or smarter. It's about, yeah, that can all play in. But ultimately it's whoever doesn't give up, you know, usually wins. Um, and is smart enough to try something different every single time, you know, just like if you're landing, landing a trick. So I, I failed lots, man. It was, it was bad plenty of times, like in every aspect possibly imaginable, I failed. I went out of business twice, man. I went, I basically went almost bankrupt when I was like 26 years old and just barely sold enough of the company to a company in Burlington. It was Carhu. They made cross country skis and they acquired line. Uh, cause I was just a kid in my garage building like 4,000 of these ski boards and I didn't know shit about business. Like I was losing money and didn't even know it, you know? And I was just, I had like credit cards maxed out and loans, like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Cause I just knew nothing about business, but really had a good vision for the ski thing. People were like, pat me on back. You're killing it. It's awesome. You know? And so anyway, sold it to them. And then same thing kind of happened later. We thought we knew what we were doing, but we couldn't be big enough to sustain the business and we sold the K2. They bailed us out in um, 2006. So, you know, I failed at that level too, let alone like just making a ski that DLAM the first time out of the press. Of course, that happened all the time. I just needed to like brag about like fail. Like, I don't know why we'd even go that deep into it, but I feel like there's just something there for people to know. You know what I mean? That they, they need to know that more than they need to know about some like hero story, how you killed it on something. It's like, they got to know that like it's totally normal and cool and all good part of the process to fail and fuck up. That's it. It's that simple. I, I mean, we talk about this, I feel like, a lot. And um, just given that we're still, maybe we're slightly moving out of it. I don't know. But for a minute there, and maybe we're still in that minute, this whole entrepreneurship thing, right? Like, oh man, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and I started my own thing and it's freaking rad. And, you know, and then they you know, people listening to this conversation is like, oh man, Jason Leventhal, that guy 
what a cool life and all that stuff. And it's like the, <laughs> the grind, you know, <laughs> cool. and the stress. Oh, it's gnarly. I, I still think it's like, and yeah, I don't, I doubt you would really do anything different, but it's like, just don't think, please don't think this is some cakewalk and looks super exciting from the outside. It's like, man, you are about to get slapped in the face. Yeah. So the thing is like, what makes me good at business isn't that I'm good at business is that, is that, like I said, persistent, but also, you know how like if you're standing on the top of like something and you're like, oh man, I don't know if I should do this. And it, you could start thinking about like, well, what if I fall? Or, like, what if I catch an edge on the way? Or like, what if, you know what I mean? What if I overclear it? And you just have all these like, what if, and then like people that are really good, I think at, at some things that are risky, like you can just clear your mind for like one second and just say, fuck it and drop in. And that's kind of like how I see things in business too, a little bit. Like you have to make all the calculations you can, you know what I mean? Like, okay, like I think it's going to work for all these reasons. Like I've, I've looked at it. I've thought about it. Sometimes like I can think about stuff that like I daydream on it. A lot of times like people think I'm not paying attention to them and I'm probably not because I'm just so daydreaming. Like I'm always, it's like the hardest part is I'm always thinking of something else like at every most times. And, um, but 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 that plays into like I'm thinking about stuff over and over and over again until like ready I'm like ready to pull the trigger then you say fuck it and you drop in and see what happens and learn from it you know what I mean like it's just like skiing I see it as completely last question from our reviewer uh Dylan Wood who by the way shout out to Dylan Dylan uh Dylan had a pretty bad bike accident yesterday and so uh Jeez. Spent some time tomorrow, yeah, yesterday morning in the clinic with him before he was taken off in an ambulance and he's wow. doing good, but like Dylan shout out and, uh, heal up and we'll get you, uh, keep your head up Dylan. Yeah. But Dylan wanted me to ask you, it's what I tend to call the time machine question. And it's just, um, if you could go back in time, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it, the weirdest part, like if I wanted to better myself on business, like I wouldn't have at that time taken a business class. That's what I could have done, but I wasn't into it. Like I literally went to school because they had good skiing there, you know? So in university of Buffalo, um, not Epic mountains, but they had a free bus every night. Don't underestimate a free bus. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I literally night skied for four years, never skied, when there was light, like sunlight, it was crazy to think about now, but I, it was fine at the time. So I, if I went back in time, I mean, what would help would have helped me is to take a business course. But I mean, a little, a few years later, when I like started a company, the only thing I wish I did different was like, I actually wanted to sell direct. Like I actually have a, a postcard that said like factory direct on it when I started line. And this is in like 95, six. And it just wasn't happening. The internet, I remember later, like I was like, God, I just can't make money doing this and whatever. And I kept telling myself, I should just sell direct. And we go through it over and over and be like, Oh, but then we're going to like lose all these shops. And it's like, which was like killing me financially. Uh, so I would just be like, just trust your gut, man. Like, like just drop in. And I mean, I kind of did anyway, but I think my telling myself like, Trust your gut, but also find as many people as you can with any experience and just ask for guidance of any kind, man. Because 
why are you going to just bang your head against the wall when you just ask someone that already did and they'll just tell you what the best thing to do would be, right? So I guess I would tell my 20-year-old self, like, ask a ton of people a ton of questions instead of, like, be breaking yourself, trying to figure it out yourself all the time. And then trust your gut as well. Yeah. So Balance I think, that out. I think that's, yeah, exactly. It's both, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trust yourself. Like if something doesn't seem right, it probably isn't. Or, you know what I mean? Like you can get yourself, you can probably convince yourself something's pretty, get convinced something's awesome. But if you ever have that still like that gut feeling like, ah, this just isn't right. Even if it's like, like dropping into a run, you know, or business or school or anything, just, just like listen to yourself, listen to it, man. On that note, Jason, um, I should let you get going. Um, I'm very sorry. I really, truly thought we'd come into this. And I was like, I'm going to get through all the questions that came in. I did my best. I failed. Yeah. Uh, no, dude, there was a lot of questions. It was a lot. That but, was great. But, um, but really props to everybody who wrote in uh, with so many yeah. and such good ones. And so um, we'll do this again sometime. But uh, yeah, as always, it's good to catch up and get your perspective and take on things. And uh, what are you off to now? I don't know. I should be picked up by my chauffeur. I don't know. Any minute now, he usually comes around five, five after. Um, and then we usually just go jet skiing, you know, catch the catch, catch sunset. Yep. Champagne glasses. <laughs> yeah. We usually do a round of champagne uh, once all the employees arrive, which, you know, there's like a we have a pretty good sized limo. So it's usually just one car. Uh-huh. We're living the dream over here, man. Living the dream. <laughs> On that note, let I will let you get back to living the dream. And, uh, but yeah, appreciate the conversation and we'll do it again soon. All right. That's it for this edition of the blister podcast. Thanks to Jay for the conversation. And thanks to all of you who submitted questions. We're going to be doing this format again from time to time, so be sure to follow us on Instagram to catch the next time that we hit you up for all your great questions. And again, as we mentioned at the top, we'll also be posting soon our video of this conversation. So if you want to see Jay's pretty face or see some of his favorite skis and graphics, you can find that video on our site soon or over on YouTube. Thanks everybody, please take good care out there. We will talk to you again next week.